Hello, I'm John Pollitt, Dean of Library Affairs at Southern Illinois University Carbondale, and your host for Saluki Stories. Today, I am happy to be speaking with an important person in my Saluki story, Dr. Michael Batinsky. Dr. Batinsky was one of my professors back in the day and an influence in my choice to pursue graduate studies in history, which led me down the path to becoming a librarian. Today we will hear about SIU and Carbondale during a very important era. There are many Saluki Stories episodes that give us this from a student's perspective. Now we get to hear about the 60s and 70s from the experience of a young history professor. This will be a two-part interview because next week I will be focusing on Dr. Patinsky's new book, Forgetting the Forgotten, published by SIU Press in 2022. Let's hear more from Dr. Batinsky and dive right in. The student body was so very different because everybody I knew, like in graduate school and so forth, they were my age. And most right. of them, a few right. ex- were exceptions, but, you know, and then there were these students down here who were only a couple of years younger than me. You That's know? right. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's, who's uh career, whose uh, college career was so varied compared to mine. I mean, it was like they were, they were experimenting with majors. They were changed, they were dropping out and coming back. And all of that was, it was an amazing, like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, the the counterculture was here. Yeah. I hadn't been in Evanston at all yet. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know, that that makes me laugh because there was a, there's, I used to go to this place on Evanston's campus called the Amazing Grace Coffee House. And I don't know when that started up, but it was pretty amazing because the people they had there were, were just astounding. John Hartford, uh, you know, mm-hmm. some from really big folk. Odetta played there once, I think. But I went in there and, you know, I'd be hanging out and go to the bathroom and the, and the, uh, the graffiti was like, whoa, this is really, <laughs> really intellectual stuff, you know, not I came, yeah. you know, uh, it was really funny the, 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 you know, that, that contrast was just um, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. And, um, but I was mo- much more suited to Carbondale than I would have been. To- well, yeah, it was like such a mix. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, I mean, I've, I knew some faculty members who had been here or gone to college, started school here in the right, field. right. Um, when it was only like about five thousand to eight thousand students, most of them came from Southern Illinois. Like there were a few. Oh. Was, uh, I remember going through like college yearbooks at that time and so forth, and realizing that there were, at that time, there were very, very few kids from Chicago. And when I arrived here, it seemed like, everybody was from Chicago. And all, I mean, there were, and, you know, and I remember like learning something about Chicago that I hadn't known before, such as there was this kind of 
there were the Skokie kids and then there were the Rogers Park kids. And they didn't, I don't know, they kept on making fun of each other, you know. Yeah. That. I didn't yeah. know that, but, but it, it was like, it was such a transformation that must have occurred by the time, and by the time I had come here. But um, as I say, the, the excitement on campus, which attracted students, I remember some that came from Rhode Island and practically hitchhiked out here or something with yeah. nothing right. just yeah. to go to school. And to be in those barracks we were talking about, both yeah. on either side of Morris Library right there, especially the, the Bucky Fuller barracks, you know. Right, and, right. And then there was the, uh, it was the uh, community development program here. And there was the writer's program, you know, which is, yeah. people don't recognize it, how many famous writers came through here. Yep. And that drew, drew a lot of students to this place. Yeah. It was an exciting place to be. Yeah, it's really exciting, you know. Definitely, yeah, definitely. It was, it was really, yeah. I just talked to a guy who uh, was a photography major, went through here, and was mentored by Chuck Swedlin, who was teaching photography then, and he went on to be the photo curator for this Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in in. Uh, uh, Kansas city. And he built like the premier collection of daguerreotypes and, and, mm -hmm. and he came, he came down here, um, from, what was it? I think Connecticut or something to go to school here because he heard of the, the program. Oh know? yeah. Oh yeah. And there was another th added attraction to the places. Uh, some of these students, were coming from places like uh, New England or so forth. They were going out there, and it, part of it was also the cost of living and tuition. Yeah, right, that, right. I don't even remember what tuition was then. Well, I didn't pay it, but it was probably like a hundred dollars a quarter or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Because I could, I could pay for like ninety-five percent of my schooling just by working over the summer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There were some things that have have not changed. There is the there's the Dairy Queen downtown. Yeah, <laughs> it has been there, you know. Right. At, oh, geez, I don't know how far back it went. I mean, it was an institution then. Yeah. Right. Right. Gavin, oh, yeah. You know, and it's still there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh, you used to open. I think it was the first week in February. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> Maybe that they're opening later now, but yeah, oh, I don't really? think it's open yet. But but yeah, what a and and like you know, such a old old town version of the Dairy Queen. You know, you got some of these Dairy Queens that are two stories and you know, fancy they're not fancy, but right. you know, indoor eating and this would just walk up, get your it's ice cream, sit on the curb. <laughs> You know, they could they could move it out to to the Smithsonian or something. Is yeah, that, right. Artifact, right. you know. It, yeah. it, it, there's <laughs> a thing about that place that has changed. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. The only thing that's changed is there used to be the lawn where the hospital used to be. Remember? Yeah. Now it's the bank building there. Yeah, yeah. The hospital was there, and there was that big lawn there. So a lot of students and so forth they they they'd get their stuff at the Gary Quinn. 
and they just lounge around over there in that it was kind of a big park right yeah 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 i mostly remember sitting on that curb and just you know watching the people go by and and it was pretty well i hope we get back to something like that uh you know the the intellectual uh, i don't know i i'm i'm a believer and i'm a and a um like a a booster like an old west booster that you know writing letters back to people on how great it is here and and it it you know i i think we're gonna turn things around we got some cool stuff happening i hope so uh there's a lot of um alumni and so forth uh, who are deeply invested in this place yeah yeah absolutely well you know it comes out from you right right yeah you know, uh, and so, sometimes uh, those voices like yours and others, alumni, are kind of, they're, they're faint, too faint on campus. Yeah. So people don't recognize that what that this place is all about. You know, there's, there's a whole lot of creativity, you know, here and a lot of commitment to the place. Yes, yes. Well, not not to not, I'm not trying to avoid uh, the discussion of the book. Okay, okay. You know, I hope that that some of our discussion right here that we began with is kept. That's yeah. But people need to hear that. People just need to hear uh, about the past and the present about this place and the, the vitality here. So one of the things we all want to do now is is tell the story that often doesn't get told. Um, so today I'm, uh, having conversation with Dr. Michael Batinsky, history faculty emeritus from Southern Illinois university, who in January, his book came out titled forgetting the forgotten a thousand years of contested histories in the heartland came out from SIU press in 2022. So um, could you tell me a little bit about how you, where you grew up, how you became a historian, and what brought you to SIU? Well, <clears throat> my childhood years were, and adolescent years were really in two places. Um, I was born in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and spent a lot of time in the autumn, the fall months, and other vacations out here. And it was my all my family was here, and the rest of the time was in Detroit, where I grew up. My father was a professional football player, and so he, after he retired, he continued to stay in Detroit. So I had my a foot basically in two regions. One, I always thought of myself as a Midwesterner, but also with that, a sense of identity with New England. And um, I went to graduate school by pretty much by choice. Yeah, uh, in the Midwest at Northwestern University in Chicago or Evanston. Um, and at that time, I was really, I was hired at SIU in 1968 to teach early American history. 
American history before the American Revolution. And I came here and did that. But slowly I became aware of the fact that uh, I was living in this place that I, I, I never taught or taught anything about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of my students were, um, even though there were a lot of them from Chicago, there were a lot of students from down here. And I slowly became aware of the fact that uh, they didn't have any sense, the same sense of American history that I did. I grew up with my mother on, as a New Englander, uh, observed Paul Revere Day, Patriot's Day it's called, I think now. Uh-huh. And I memorized Longfellow's uh, Midnight Ride of Paul Revere as a kid. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was all that. and. Yeah. Uh, and Bunker Hill and all of that was in my mind. And out here, I came to realize that uh, these kids, uh, they're interested in, in a different way than I w- had grown up to feel in the Civil War. That immediate history around them was, uh, uh, yeah, because Southern Illinois was very, very much caught up in the Civil War. And there were, there were, there were echoes of it that were still remain. Right. Yes, and yes. There are so many other reasons for me to realize, to ask myself the question, well, what am I doing? You know, I got, <laughs> you know, the relevancy issue comes up here. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, um, you know, how, and I also recognize something else. Um, when, you know, I, I'd be talking with somebody who's, who's born, brought up in Southern Illinois, and he'd ask me casually about what I did. And I said, I taught, American history. And he said, you know, sometimes they would say something like, you know, I hated history. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. But then I came to realize that those same people really were very much interested in uh, local history. What they didn't like was something they couldn't connect with, which was what was taught in the classroom. Yeah, Yeah, You look at the American history textbooks that high school students and even college students would take. Look at the index. There's a lot of stuff on there right there on places like on the East Coast, but not much on Illinois except for the Civil War. Yeah. And then maybe a reference to uh, Jane Addams or something and Hull House in Chicago. Yeah. But not much else. So, uh, you know, I started to ask myself, is like, is this, this isn't really their history. What is their history? And so I began to began to rethink who I was as an early American historian and rethink about how to make that connection. But that meant that I had to understand how people in the area, Southern Illinois, Jackson yes. County, uh, how they thought about their past. It may not be the way I thought about my past, but uh, I needed to listen to it. I needed to attend to it. So um, I mentioned this in the, I think the preface to the book, it slowly came a dawning on me. I was like down on the Mississippi River with a few friends by Grand Tower. We were on the banks of the Mississippi. And one of my friends turns to me and says, is, so how come you're not writing a history of this area? <laughs> and, and I can remember clearly that I start, I, 
I came up with an answer that was just dumb. <laughs> I didn't know. But the thing that I remembered was, was you know, uh, I didn't forget that question. Yes. I didn't yes. forget that question. How come? You know, by this time I was, you know, in, you know, I'd written a couple of books on early American history, the East Coast. Yeah. But that question was with me. And slowly I came to look at Jackson County and say is, okay, how do people think about Jackson County and the past of it? And, you know, and the more I began to think about it, I, I became aware of the fact that there were so many people who were actively engaged in keeping the past of Jackson County around me. Um, it took me a while to realize just how many of them there were. But I mean, I, you know, today you can still, you can see that. Is people like uh, Mike Jones at the John A. Logan Museum in Huntsville. Yes. Uh, yeah, and the people he's gathered around himself. I mean, these people are really committed to some to something. Or, you know, uh, down the line, you know, the uh, the African American community in Carbondale created an African American museum. Right, right, right. And and there was uh, for a while, I think it still is, and still out there, an African-American genealogical society, you know, and uh, you, you talk to people like uh, Pepper Holder, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. Pepper. And, uh, Pepper is really very much interested, not just in the present, what's going on in Carbondale, and he right. is, yeah. but he's also very much interested in, in keeping the past. So I decided, well, you know, I, I got to learn something from this. So, you know, it, it, took me a, it took me a while to realize, you know, maybe 20 years after that question on the banks of the Mississippi was delivered to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and right, I, right. I do not remember what I said because I had all I, I didn't have a good answer, but I knew that I didn't have a good answer. And yeah. that stuck with me, you know, <laughs> after a little. Yeah. So, so you blocked out what you really said, but you took the message, right? Yeah, I got the message. I got the <laughs> you know and uh so i started to work on it and um i slowly became aware of the fact that there were not there just wasn't one story that in jackson county like many places in this country there are people who have tell the story of the place they live in in a different way and uh, I became aware of the fact that uh, black people in in Carbondale, Murfreesboro, Jackson County understand the history of this area in a different way than white people have. There yeah. are two stories that don't quite uh, they don't quite match, and sometimes they even contradict. Or and. Uh, you know, I, I realized it wasn't just Jackson County. Uh, I realized that um, that's essentially what we're grappling with today when all the controversy over how history is taught. Yes. You know, it's, it's yeah. whose, history is, whose history are we listening to? And I, even before the current controversy arose, I became aware of myself is that my understanding of 
uh, of history, American history, uh, had to be rethought. Uh, for example, growing up in Detroit, I did not know really until I was like in college, I, yeah, in college, that I grew up within a 15 minute drive from where one of the worst race riots in the country occurred. And that race riot occurred in the year I was born, 1943. And it was just as if that story had just been forgotten. You know, I understood right. history of Detroit was a history of prosperity. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. don't know that. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I used to use that in class. I used yeah. to talk about, you know, the economic problems in the 70s and the 80s. And I say, well, you won't believe this, but I got a story <laughs> to tell you about Detroit. <laughs> but another part of the story yeah. was I recognized that there were, you know, there was the black story that I didn't know about about right. and it became more and more clear to me i remember going home you know yeah in fact it was in the summer of 1967 i returned home for a visit to my family up there when the race riot occurred again yes and uh boy it really came home it really came home it's like wow the detroit that i grew up with which was essentially that i learned as a middle class white kid, privileged, you know, able yeah. to go to college and all that stuff, um, wasn't the same, wasn't, was only part of the story. And there was another story that I had never learned, which was forgotten, that I needed to, to attend to as well. Well, that and living in Jackson County made me realize this happens a lot of different places. There are different stories, different narratives that occur and they live side by side, and uh, sometimes they're in collision. And that's what I began to want, try to look at Jackson County's understanding of its history, the different understanding of it. And, you know, as I came to the end of this, this project, I began to realize, gosh, you know, this is what we're doing all over the country right now. Michael, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. It was so nice to reminisce about SIU when you were a new faculty member in the history department. And I was a young man taking classes that taught me how to think and write. Oh, and having a little fun in Carbondale along the way. We hope you all will join us next week as we talk about the history of Jackson County. This has been John Pollitz, Dean of Library Affairs at Southern Illinois University Carbondale and your host for Saluki Stories. Our production would not have been possible without the contributions of radio, television, and digital media assistant professor of practice, Jennifer Pape, student editor, Casey Avis-Rouse, and our music production team, Austin Davis and Dakota Holden. Ooh, dogs. <laughs>